Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, <laughs> shall we start this? Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Miss Jane Doe. another episode of mystery on the rocks the show that takes unsolved true mysteries and cocktails and puts them together and you listen to them listen enjoy <laughs> with me as always eat, eat them with your ear eat mouth. them yeah, with your, <laughs> I, now i've got that image of an ear like a flat ear like that and then in cartoon style it goes like ow like a 90s mtv cartoon Whoa. like a yeah, genus like flytrap yeah. Yes. But in that weird, like, liquid vision MTV style. It's yeah. like, wow. Yeah. Like and that. then it melts yeah. into the MTV logo. Yes, that's it. Yeah. And but, then burps. Oh, but no, and then it morphs into maybe some butthead going, why do we watch this? Why do we watch this? Shouldn't they're bringing it back, <laughs> but them as adults, like, they've aged them appropriately. Oh, that's just going to oh, be sad. Really? Uh, yeah, that Google it now. Google. Google um, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've released an image of what Beavis and Butthead would look like now, like 20 Whoa. odd years later. And they're doing that. They're doing that show. Beavis and Butthead. Uh, like now. a Beavis and Butthead legacy sequel. Because like... Um, oh my God. Oh, it's really sad. <laughs> their first oh, look no. at their return. Here we go. Oh, good God. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, no, but they... It's spot on. But they would be, wouldn't they? They'd be... Fat, they'd be fat losers. They'd be fat losers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh man. <laughs> the best thing about this, right? I don't know whether they'll go there. Is that they would be incels. And that's yes. Yeah. And they would be like. Mike Judge is pretty smart. Yeah. I bet. I bet they are. He's a pretty like. Um. Have you seen Tales from the Tour Bus? His like because apparently Mike Judge is a huge. No. Um, what is it? Country Western fan. Oh right. Uh, and so is Tim Renko, who put me onto this series. Ah. But basically, he's like. Um, it essentially like reveals that uh, country western stars are way more rock and roll than rock and roll stars. Um, there's this like one, one of my favorite ones was uh, I think it's uh, Hank, is it Hank Jennings? Uh, I forget the I name of the, uh, of the yeah I think it's Hank Jennings. He was um, they he's he's like he got asked he asked this um, barn that he played and he's like oh you gonna the venue like so where's my money they're like yeah we can't pay you he's like what the fuck are you talking about he's like no we can't pay you he's like all right then I'll just I got some dynamite in car. I'll just blow this venue up. And they're like, yeah, sure thing. He got some dynamite out of his car and he fucking blew up the venue. Like, he just he just did it. He just fucking did it. He doesn't give a fuck. Rock and roll! Or like... What was That's it? nuts. Uh, yeah, and then as he drove away... <laughs> <laughs> they weren't chasing us till you played that getaway music. <laughs> yeah, it turns it off. Just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then he goes... 
He's a, yeah, oh yeah, those those guys are fucking crazy. Like country western stars are because like, like there was one guy who they had a tour bus, but they didn't nail anything down, and they put like <laughs> four poster beds and sofas in it. Oh, and they were was, just sliding about. Yeah, and they drove off of a, a road like the, off a there was a, a country road that the railings weren't very secure, and they crashed off it and careened down a hill. Uh, and like they basically got like almost crushed under every single piece of furniture. It was all fucking rolling around. That's bananas. And they all yeah, but uh, yeah, that's them. They're fucking. They don't give a shit. <laughs> but it's the same as anyone who gets like you know like we're talking about child stars. It's like when you get a bunch of cash, they're like fuck it. You just like throw it up. You know, spunk it up the wall. Yeah, and... uh, yeah. Like uh, I think we've talked about it before. You can like... buy some nails. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Yeah, you, you if you get enough money and you're young and stupid, you go like. Yeah, I'm going nuts. Oh, I can't think. There's, I can't think of enough things to buy. That's why young footballers, they're like, I guess I'll get a Lamborghini and another Lamborghini and yeah. a gold buff and uh, 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 cheat on my girlfriend a lot. With me as always is a fantastic oh. Sue Kempner. I'm. It's me, the girl who was talking about the pirate <laughs> I'm ship. I'm so house. glad you remembered that we hadn't and... done that yet. <laughs> as if anyone listening is like, who are they? Who hey, are any, they? Any episode could be somebody's first episode. Sue's could be their first. And well, sorry. The sorry to them. <laughs> the fantastic Chris Stokes. Hello. And I'm Masood. Hello, hello. Oh shit! I thank you for introducing yourself. It's all right. I, I've only. I think I've. I, I've forgotten it occasionally. Where I've, I've just referred gone. to you. I've been referring to you as just some guy for just three <laughs> years. <laughs> Who's this jerk? <laughs> that fanny. It's more than three years we've been recording this. Yeah, hey, yes. Chris, our, our producer talks a lot on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Have... yeah. Oh, he's always giving it all that. Who is that? Uh, yeah. Guy? So we. Uh, it, it actually. Uh, third birthday of it being released is coming up next month <gasps> oh my well, we gosh. should work out which day mm. and release a special um yeah uh, i can do that oh, i can be... do that i'm gonna go and look right now yeah figure um, it out i'll put uh, it in my diary as an, well. a, an acast um yeah it tells you the the date that all the episodes came out so if i just oh. scroll right down to the bottom oh we've done too many episodes too many aren't episodes. people sick of us yet it's no. 100 it's coming up on 130 episodes. If we were uh, yeah, a TV think, show, um, we'd be syndicated by now. I can tell you. Yeah. I can, I can tell you. We've done uh, Navachine, which has just gone out. Mm-hmm. Is 125 125 episodes. Yeah. That's nuts. Look at that. That syndication, baby. They um uh, I was syndicated. On, uh, March 28th. Oh. <laughs> March 28th. March 28th. Oh. Yeah, because we released my stand-up anniversary three. is the 29th. We released the first 3 episodes. Mm. Oh yeah, Nick, yeah, Nick Helm, my... Kima Bob, and Jay Foreman. Was Kima Bob the first episode? She was one oh of the God. first three that we released. That we yeah. said, I said some really terrible things in that episode. Blood so is the darkest of people. Moves. Yeah, people really stuck with us. Oh yeah, that's uh, oh. <laughs> if you've been there from the beginning, hat off to tell, you. Let us know. Let us know. Oh yes, Mi- at yeah. Mystery on the rocks at gmail dot com. Um, we'd love to hear from you if you've been there from the very beginning. Actually, yeah, if you if you've been like a from from the very beginning, let us and also let us know if you um, just found it by accident just after it had gone out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, and if you've got any questions you'd like to ask in our in our third anniversary special episode, we're going to put out. Ooh, uh, please yeah. ask us anything you like, and we'll answer it. And we'll do our best. I'm saying this now because this episode is going to go out um, next week. Yeah, uh, I will. Uh, I'll, we will try and get it so that it goes out on the anniversary rather. That'll be cool because it's a Monday. Yeah, yeah. 
I'll like try. an extra thing. Yeah, we can do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We got over a month. Um, ha, Wari, what are we drinking? <gasps> I have got a cinnamon bellini. Whoa. 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 You talked about this last night it's, when we recorded. It is. Cinnamon bellini. Yeah, so it's Goldschlager, which is like a cinnamon, <laughs> a cinnamon spirit. Yeah. It's cinnamon syrup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Assam tea. Assam so tea. Oh, yes. Yeah, so oh. I brewed like a really strong, tiny bit of Assam tea. Oh, yeah. I see, yeah. Put that in with the Goldschlager and the cinnamon syrup. Mm. Uh, measure of each, like perfect. Shook it up over ice and then topped it with Prosecco. Ooh, yeah. that sounds very nice. I can imagine that Assam tea as well. I very cheekily quite. had a bit of the drink before I topped it up with Prosecco, and that was serviceable as well. That was very nice. Ooh. Okay, oh, so it works alone. Nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Mm, that's very it's nice. It's a cinnamon bellini. Yeah, mm. now the, I think what's clever about it, it's oh, not my recipe, by the way. Um, I think what's clever about it is the tea, which mm. is obviously going to be very strong and bitter. Yeah. It cuts through the cinnamon. So... You've got the flavour of the cinnamon without it getting in your nose. Yeah. Because there's a lot of cinnamon in there. The cinnamon syrup and the cinnamon spirit. The tea is a really good addition. That was very clever, whoever. It's this kind of... uh, We've been... uh, as like a thing in the kitchen sometimes when Lucy's in there and I'm cooking. It's like a distraction thing. I'll open the the drawer that has all the spices in it and we just smell the spices. And (laughs) cinnamon is the one that she's like... <laughs> she just can't get it. Um, Mike's somebody that does the cinnamon challenge. I've seen a lot of young people. Oh, oh that fucking I've seen DJ. I've young people doing this. Um, so good. That is and my... he like he nearly dies yeah. doing it. It's one of that might be one of my favourite go to videos on YouTube. Is just watching him wretch like. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> 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 Mike Parry. Mike Parry. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. You bell end. <laughs> yeah. You're a bell end, sir. I think I said sir. that a bit too late because I heard it echoing in one of your uh, earphones. Oh, it might, be, it might be mine. My headphones <laughs> might be too loud. Oh, he's yeah, he's one of those people that's a sort of like gob for hire on Jeremy Vine. He's LBC and that kind of, yeah. Right, yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. The right gob Yeah, he's always popping hire. up saying something awful. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone's actually looked at how much foreign aid comes out of this country. Uh, <laughs> think, do you think yeah. it's good or bad, Mike? Bad. Yeah. And what are you basing that on, Mike? Well, just, well, I'm a racist. I just don't <laughs> think it's justified, you know, when Prince Andrew's got a court case to settle. <laughs> I, There's people we should be helping in our own country. Yeah. <laughs> we, should, we should be helping that good. The people who bring the tours and bring in the people to the country to spend Pe- money. People flock from around the world to come and see Prince Andrew. People flock from around the world to get felt up by Prince Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking, Suze? Oh, well, look at the colour. We've all got very (laughs) similar coloured drinks. We have, haven't we? Yeah, I've realised that. An amber, an amber thing. Me and Masood look like we've got the same. Actually, yeah, you and Masood look like there should be a mosquito in yours. (laughs) (laughs) They do move in herds. Podcasters, they do move in. I had a lovely little sort of like. Did you? Because they've released the trailer for the 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 next Jurassic Dominion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a little moment where uh, Laura Dern and Sam Neill they put their little reunion moment in the trailer. Yes. Right. And it's like, do you know what? Jurassic Park is like, it's not one of, I know there's been six movies over 30 years. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's the, so I guess like it's a big movie series, but I never thought of it as like a, 
a franchise with a no with a history, and then it's like oh, oh there yeah. They I, are. I, I I I find I they probably are, but I struggle to invest in the concept of Jurassic Park fanboys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it feels like a franchise that seems to be quite light on that. Only yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just really... sort of like it's the movies that it's like a franchise that the movie, like movie going public, will go to each time because it's like oh, it's the yeah. part movie. I think it's partly because like Star Wars and now comic book films, there is so much lore around it that the fans know more than and the there's creators. a big old yeah, and there's a big yeah. old fan movement. But with Jurassic yes. Park, not so much. But yeah. I had a moment that was like that, not expecting one. When I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. Sam, Sam Neill and Laura Dern back. Yeah, it was quite nice. I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it yet. She goes, Adam Grant, and he goes, Ellie Sattler, and it's like... Oh. And you're like, ah. Oh. So and, you, and then you remember yeah. that bit as a kid when um, they're in the, the museum right at the end, and all the raptors are there, and uh, Laura Dern looks right at the camera, and you're like, oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> you guys all go, oh, yeah. I <laughs> 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 they They... Um, it's weird actually because they never get together in the movie at all. No, in in any of the films. In fact, in the third film, she's married to is, someone else. She's yeah. married to someone else, and you sort of get the implication. The the implication. Um, that he's, the implication. I never get the impression that they're together at all. In no, the, really? there's never. There's yeah. never. I one hundred percent. This is the first time I'm hearing that they weren't a married couple. No, I think it's like they, in the what? first movie they're sort of like on the dig together. Yeah. yeah, but they talk about having kids, and she's just like, like as friends. Though, yeah, as that, I always took it as colleagues. Actually, yeah. it's really really. I always think oh, of it because because the the way their relationship works is like they they're sort of ribbing each other as if like they might maybe, but then they're like oh. they're a couple. No, nah, so not you. It never two worked. Are crazy. It never. If they did, if they were, it never worked out because the way that just the way <laughs> the chemistry the is between them, it's so it's so. Else. But in the in the first film, like there's never one romantic moment between them no yeah because they're running from dinosaurs you nutters yeah, no, the I end, think... yeah okay the why don't the they fi- bone at the end of the film like yeah I don't know I never get I the never, kids are I'm... asleep in the helicopter in and his, they look at each other like, and it's like we that's... could have kids but I feel like it's his arc and not theirs yeah, like he doesn't. Like oh, kids you're then... crazy! They're a couple. Oh, okay. No, I think I think if they were, it didn't <laughs> really work assume, out. Right? Okay, Suze is so sure about this, and I'm so yeah. unsure of myself when it comes to these things. <laughs> that while we have number Suze two to one on this, mm. in the in in my head, I'm thinking there's a large chance that if we put this out to the listeners, everyone will be going. Chris and Masood are insane. You guys, they're yeah, obviously a couple. Totally or if they are, if they are a couple, they definitely don't explore it in the film. I'm going to go, they don't explore their bodies. I'm going to look uh, it up. Um, Ellie Sattler. Alan Grant. I think in the book they might have been, but Spielberg changed the book don't, so Don't much. start chucking in caveats. <laughs> right. Our Dr. Alan Grant and Dr. Ellie Sattler. Oh, I recently rewatched the Jurassic Park trilogy for the first time as an adult. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's some compelling evidence to suggest perhaps they weren't Spielberg Ah. removed all references where Ellie called him honey and he also removed a scene where they kiss in the novel Crichton explicitly says they're not a couple oh well uh, okay so okay right there's a scene right guys there's a scene where um, Jeff Goldblum says to uh, in the car. Alan I know the scene you're talking about. Yeah. So are you and Doctor Sattler? And he says yes, and he says apologetically, ah. 
Yeah, but I took... They're a couple. So, you know, I took that to mean that... Because oh. so, he's so cagey. Sam Neely's so cagey that I think he's jealous of Ian Malcolm. And, so he says yeah, it and just he's to like, throw like, a little bit possessive. Trail. He's saying it to stop it anything any more pursuing. Because, listen, I don't think they're a couple, but I think <laughs> Alan I Grant yeah. wants to be. Yes, and she's like, hey, and maybe she wants to be too, but they never sort it out. That's the tragedy. Because Jurassic Park is history's biggest. Will they? Won't they? Because the last Rachel was big. (laughs) Again, in the third film, there is something implied that they never got together because Alan never made a move. Yes, that's that's what I always. That's kind of like the bit in the third film where he's like. Uh, they try ringing her on the satellite phone. They drop it, and then she hears dinosaurs roaring. So she's like, "Holy shit!" Then they, yeah, they need yeah. help. And she calls the navy, and the navy rescue him. And then the kid says to Alan Grant, "Well, now, now you've got to call her." Yeah, like that's right. That. Yeah. yeah. So, oh God. I hope you enjoyed that, listeners. Anyway, <laughs> the mystery this week into... will just have to not be solved. Yeah, just... We're doing the geopolitics. I'm so sorry, we spoke for uh, three hours and 47 minutes on uh, Alan Grant and Ellie <laughs> Sattler. And Sattler. <laughs> the will-they-won't-they they relationship um, to, of cinema. Oh, we've been talking about Jurassic Park, and I completely forgot I'm wearing this T-shirt. Oh, <laughs> Mr. DNA. Mr. DNA. <laughs> Mr. DNA. Where did you Ow, come from? From John, your blood. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that with Jos Norris, didn't we? Oh yeah. <laughs> he was really entertained by that. Have the... you um? Because uh, they did. They brought him back, Mr. DNA. Oh, in the Jurassic but, World. Yeah, but with um, Jimmy Fallon. Yes, that's. Oh right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hate Jimmy Fallon. Me, me, that's too, that I, me too. That's too strong saying I hate oh, him, but mean, I think I actually th- do. That bit, though, in Jurassic World is actually really well observed because it's a really badly fun... Like, the the jokes in that video are bad, mm. but right. they, they would be. Yes. It's right, like, yeah, yeah. It feels yeah. very oh, much yeah. like a tour video yeah, yeah, yeah. that you'd have on that sort of thing. Yeah, someone, someone's been paid to write that bit, um, and they're, they're, it's not their dream job. They're like, yeah, I've got this gig writing a thing for a... A major motion picture, Dino but Park. it's not. No, no, I mean oh, in, in within the, in the, the context. Of, oh, within the context of the world of the yeah. Film. Oh, so they're right. like, yeah. they're like, what I actually want to do is write rom coms. I love how matter of fact that person is though, when it's a, a world where dinosaurs have been brought back from extinction, and they're just not excited about it. At all. Yeah. This is this is this is actually the problem I had with Jurassic World. I'm like, we've got to make a new make up a new dinosaur. I'm like, people still go to the zoo yeah. to see animals that yeah. already exist. If you go to the zoo <laughs> and you see the giraffes every yeah. single time, you go, fucking hell, look at the giraffes! They're amazing! They're amazing! I found out about an animal I didn't even know existed. I called get copy. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But the reason I think it works is because to a human being's eye in the twentieth of the twenty first century, yeah. to see a dinosaur, that's made up. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, like, they, you, they, they yeah. never existed. So all of a sudden when dinosaurs are brought back to life and you're watching a T Rex, you're like, Oh, yeah, they didn't exist. Uh, mm. yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. So now it feels so it do, it it doesn't stretch my credibility that the there would be like <laughs> people would then be bored of seeing dinosaurs because like yeah. Okay, I, I, animals it's, have I mean, always been around and shared the planet with us, whereas dinosaurs were way back then and we've never yeah. seen them before. It's a minor gripe <laughs> to a, a like and and to the point where I'm like ah fair enough if it literally <laughs> brings the concept out of like you know brings the thread of the story into it. I'm like yeah you know what that's fine. It also seems like something that's quite credible in the world of like. You know, we're playing God. We shouldn't be doing this. And yeah. then, like, yeah. So then, it's like, let's just make up a dinosaur. The that bit feels... that I can't believe, and this is going to make me sense, is that they opened the fucking park. 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's make up a dinosaur. Is it dangerous? I can't believe yeah. they let people in Open to the park, see this. Please. Yeah. Chris in the cinema going, can't believe I've opened the park. I, I can't. You know what's really... Have they not learned anything? Because the events of the first three movies were catastrophic. <laughs> not even no, getting started on... Shut up, actually. I think... <laughs> no, you I love know. the idea of Chris I thought, I thought I'd pick it just as much as you had. Chick <laughs> Chris is like the woman at the beginning of Scream going, out of my face. Oh, it's scary movie. Scream 2. Yeah. Oh, it's scary movie, isn't yeah. it? They're ripping off, they're ripping off Scream 2. I pay just like everybody else. Out of my face. Yeah, she's eating it. You better get out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) I remember laughing so much at that in the cinema when I was 15. And I bet if I watched it now, I'd be like, wow, this is annoying. Me and... (laughs) This is a bad parody. Me and my sister constantly throw that at each other, though. You better get out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that and um, the idea of making a scene. And then if you get pulled out by a security guard, be like, you pushed me. You push me. <laughs> that that seems quite, yeah, seems quite amusing to us. <laughs> Don't touch me. That's another one. Don't touch me. I like the idea of saying that it's. I'm leaving. Way. Yeah, I, I, I know I've done wrong, sir. I will. I will leave. Um, what are, uh, what are my you drink. Here? My drink is what I've got here. Is Manchester Drinks Company pineapple toasted pineapple rum. Ding ding mm. ding ding ding. Ding 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 nice. ding ding. And thank you very much to Tiger Gin oh, for sending me some samples, which I will be sharing with you guys when I see you. Oh, my goodness. Um, which hopefully will be very soon. Mm-hmm. They've sent me... The dimensions uh, of that, it could easily be like just a tiny little liqueur chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> you silly ass. Um, they, but one of them is a vodka. Oh, very nice. They make vodka. Uh, I haven't opened the gins yet. So I've got my pineapple rum with tiger vodka. Very nice. um, And uh, a tiny little sprinkling of orange bitters. Oh, very nice. I think that sounds like you've played properly. That sounds great. It doesn't sound like I've done a proper drink. And I'm calling it. (laughs) (laughs) I Ainsley Harriet when I put the this is in like, hey. Um, Percy Pepper, Susie Salt. Uh, I... Uh, I'm calling it because it's tight from Tiger Gin Company. Yeah. I'm calling it a roaring pineapple. Hey, I like that. Is that right? As and you said that, I remember the. Mmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so simple. Is it? Is does Tiger Tiger the the uh, uh, nightclub chain still exist? I mean, for a while there was a network of gigs that ran in them. There was like, yes. There was a, oh, were there? Yeah, there was a gig in Leeds, Rubbish. Tiger Tiger, that was. No, no. Oh, they were all awful. Mm. They were all awful. Uh, I think. I think they might. Yeah, they might have been. And you might have to bleep out the name of said company. They might have been jonglers gigs. Why are we bleeping that? out? It's not like jonglers have covered themselves in. <laughs> <laughs> no, suppose, yeah. Fuck jonglers. <laughs> leave jonglers alone, Masood. Hey, oh leave them alone, Han. Um, <laughs> that sounds really nice, though. The pineapple and this. It's really yeah. good. It's because the pineapple rum is quite a strong, <laughs> sweet flavour, and it goes great in prosecco. Mm. Um, well, we As did. We, we discovered put it in when we did the um, on our first episode. 
Oh, oh it yeah. was the Romanovs, right. Um, so we all tried it together. But I haven't tried that pineapple with anything else. And just with some vodka and a little orange bitters. Very nice. Very, nice. Very it tastes expensive, you know. <laughs> it's like a... Tastes like an expensive one, a 16 quidder. It's like if you make like a really simple pasta dish with like a little bit of lemon, a little bit of coriander, a little mm. bit of garlic, a little bit of oil. Anyway, Miss Sue, what are you drinking? So this is a half and half of my own design and half an internet recipe. What's floating in it? Tell us um, the end. Slice of cake. The, the internet um, thing was a drink called a bramble, which is blackberry liqueur, because I have found that. Um, we've had one on the show yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's a gin one isn't it it's a gin one with and I well, we put soda water in it I think right so this one I was like well I don't have soda water so I went so it's blackberry liqueur I went to sort of the classic uh, backbone I guess skeleton drinks recipe which is like blackberry liqueur gin simple syrup and uh, lime juice and I was like okay that tasted mm-hmm. okay and I made it and I got a little straw and I put it in and I taste it I'm like that tastes fine but it's missing something so I put a little bit of and I couldn't tell you how much maybe about 20 milliliters of um, uh, sweet vermouth in it and it Ooh. turned it into something else like oh and a little bit of bitters like one big dash of, of Angostura bitters and it's like this kind of Ribena like really sweet I've, I'm having to stop myself from downing it it's really, ah, really nice mm. it's a delicious treat so what are the little those are blueberries I didn't have blackberries little blueberries so Chris what do you have for us today? A double bill. <gasps> the Grindhouse. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we should do fake trailers in the middle. Um, so, Two mysteries uh, back to back. Last last week we were pre-war. Um, yes. Just pre-war as yeah. well because of, mm. uh, Crystal Knight just kicked off. And yeah. I guess... Like, the, bloody hell, it's kicking off. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, Crystal Knight's kicking off. Jews are having a party. I don't think they were. Uh, I reckon... Very um, much the opposite of a party. Just pre-war, and I reckon the rest of the world were mm. looking at what was happening, and they were going, oh, that's not very good. Didn't intervene. Mm. Didn't really intervene. Yeah. They did that. They just wagged their finger a little bit. Mm. Um, and then Sonic music played <laughs> I, I'm gonna I, let, obviously we'll just catch up with where the world is at the moment because not yeah. lo, not long after that the 1st of September through to the 6th of October 1939 mm-hmm. Germany invaded Poland gotcha uh, yeah. that then kicked off World War 2 as we know uh, America didn't join straight away early World War 2 uh, Trotsky was assassinated Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was in Mexico at the time, but obviously that feels very much like Stalin getting rid of his rivals. And sure, oh, yes, this was that uh, his whole thing of... naysayers. Yeah. yeah. So Trotsky's uh, World War Two is kicked off, and then America joins uh, World War Two, and we know why, don't we? Mm. For for clout. Yeah, they're like, hey, well, we better join this thing. Yeah, yeah. For likes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, America joined World War Two for clicks. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a couple of thumbs up. That's all we want. You. <laughs> um, uh, no, they uh, they joined uh, they joined World War Two because uh, Pearl Harbor was attacked. Oh yes, yes. Uh, by the Japanese. Now Pearl Harbor, if you remember at the beginning, 1940. Of our, uh, yeah, uh, 1941 actually. Yeah. But if 41. You, if you remember from earlier on in our series, we had... I thought you were going to say from the beginning of the movie Empire of the Sun. I <laughs> <laughs> um, used to love that film when I was a kid. Uh, did that spy, uh, Pete and the Booze Boys. 
did, oh, yeah. did he predict Pearl Harbor? And the answer was yes. no. It's just no. that you could see where... I guess you could see where geopolitics was going because he had this. He was yeah. a military strategist, so he was like, well, yeah. obviously the next war will be fought in the air and at the sea. And yeah. uh, strategically, that's a weak point in America's defences or... Well, mm. at the time yeah yeah, yeah. so it's not so he didn't predict Pearl Harbor he was just like he just well, put two there... and two together he just yeah. sort of and, saw stuff and went and oh. wasn't there a moment where America because obviously they had spies on the inside they they basically found out that um, Germany technologically were 25 years ahead of them with their weaponry oh wow didn't know I that didn't, I didn't know yeah this. and because America had sort of not built any like they were still on they was they were still on horseback no really they were still yeah it, it, because nothing had really moved forward since the first world war yeah i guess them, and, like, and, and i mean really. like they did they did enter an economic depression yes um yeah well. ten... I think it does kind of make sense yeah uh yeah because like the wall street bombing mm. the bomb was delivered by a horse carriage oh that's right mm-hmm. yeah and that was like yeah 1920 really... Yeah, it was 1920. Mm. Or early 1920s, at least. I can't remember the exact year. But, yeah, you're right. I hadn't really thought of that. And, uh, I mean, they had tanks in World War One. They were just really... Uh, those really crap Rudimentary. Ones, they? Yeah, I, they, look, uh, they look like shit, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, those really shit tanks. <laughs> and I reckon, um, I reckon ZZ was arming everybody else at the time. Mm. Yeah, they, he wasn't interested in arming America. Yeah, because ZZ yeah. was playing both sides. Because <laughs> um, the implication. So the reason I say this is a double bill is because uh, I've got two... Two little Pearl Harbor mysteries. Oh, <gasps> two little pearls of wisdom. Hey. Uh, so the first one is something called Deadly Deadly Double. Have you heard about that? The Deadly, Deadly Double. No, but it no. sounds cute as hell. It does sound very sweet. It but feels like a again, it's a part of this double bill thing. Deadly, Deadly Double. Quite simply, two weeks before the attack on Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. strange mm-hmm. adverts started appearing in the newspapers for a game of chance called the Deadly Double, which okay. potentially could have been a coded warning. I mean, that sounds <gasps> like the, the as you said the that thing that felt like the trailer thing, like play the game of chance, the Deadly Double. So what yeah. is it like a you just like what like a lottery type deal or? There's a book, it's called um, uh, Pearl Harbor from Infamy to Greatness, and it was published mm-hmm. in 2016. And it was published to coincide, actually, with the 75th anniversary of um, the Pearl Harbor attack. Yes. All right. All right, let's nail our colours to the mast at the moment. This is a conspiracy okay. theory. Right. That doesn't normally uh, okay. make it into history books. Okay, okay. Sure. But it's a fun little thing, so I thought, mm-hmm. if we're going to do Pearl Harbor, it, it gives us a chance, we can cover Pearl Harbor and do this and the other one. So, yeah, Chris. The, so, guys, the Earth is flat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's where we're going. Uh, Chris, a... this is okay. No, 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 so, no, no, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. So, so what? <laughs> so, what, so what Hitler did is he actually separated some of the Nazis. They went into the center of the Earth, and then, uh, okay, right, okay. guys, and this is the thing that. called the hollow Earth. <laughs> he did that with one ball, <laughs> and the oh, other man. ball was in Masood's drink. <laughs> <laughs> yum, yum, yum. Hello, Mister Milus. <laughs> Um, so, oh, I'm assuming, no. <laughs> um, so it was very early on in 1941, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Or was it December 1941, Pearl Harbor? It, but I feel like the Americans didn't get involved until like three years. I thought it was like 1943, yeah, they didn't get Oh, yeah, yeah. 7th of December 1941, all right? So okay. in 
In November 1941, a strange ad appeared in the New Yorker magazine. Mm -hmm. It pictured a group of people sheltered from an air raid playing dice. And okay. under the headline, right. Achtung, Warning, Alert, the copy read, We hope you'll never have to spend a long winter's night in an air raid shelter, but we were just thinking. It's only common sense to be prepared. If you're not too busy between now and Christmas, why not sit down and plan a list of the things you'll want to have on hand? And though it's no time really to be thinking of what's fashionable, we bet that most of your friends will remember to include those intriguing dice and chips which make Chicago's favourite game, the Deadly Double. Right. Right. And then throughout the same issue of the New Yorker, uh, the, the, the New Yorker magazine, there were six smaller adverts that referred back to that main advert. And the dice was number 12 and 7, which is obviously there's no numbers on any known dice that are 12 and 7. 12 and 7, yeah. This is two weeks before, and the date of the Pearl Harbor attack was 7th of December, 12-7. Mm. Hmm. This feels very much like an escape room clue. <laughs> it's, uh, but uh, it's still pretty cool if it is a coded message. And then during the war, like later on, there was a transport pilot named Joseph Bell, and he was flying a South Pacific route when uh, an intelligence officer on the same on the same plane that who he was flying, yeah, told him that um, uh, a lot in people in military secret spy intelligence considered that to be a secret warning, and he put it in it. And this guy had been assigned to investigate it, but every lead had led to a dead end. Uh, so the advert's copy apparently had been presented in person at the magazine's offices, and the fee had been paid in cash. Okay. The game offered in the advert, nor the company that said that they were making it, ever yeah. existed. Mm. Which is, I guess that's why this is where this theory comes, where people go, oh, that says it must be a coded message. Right, right, right. I'm going to put it in the cryptic crossword. No one knows how to fucking do that. <laughs> um, there are people that think that there are clues in um, cryptic crosswords, aren't there? Oh, it's so ridiculous, oh, isn't is it? it? Oh, what, it's like, like the powers that be leave clues. Oh. It feels very, like... The, how arrogant would you have to be if you worked in the powers that be or whatever that you're like I'm going to leave some clues in a cryptic I know it's, like, it's like how people go like oh you can tell 9-11 was an inside job because look at the numbers man right 9 plus 11 is 20 how many pilots were there 20 like you go what What are all these numbers you're adding together I think Milo McCabe's got a really funny routine about it oh, about like how you um, add all these numbers together and it's like that's all nothing yeah, yeah it's like none of, the, it's none of this is... he does it with Scrabble letters doesn't he mm. oh right I saw him do it about four years ago at the Edinburgh Fringe and it was so funny see that's really yeah that's it well we've talked about it a lot on the show where it's like if you want to find a pattern, you will find it. Yes. Uh, the human brain is um, sort of hardwired. Designed to find patterns. To find patterns. Because yeah. they're very comforting. They're very easy. It's why games are designed entirely around that, uh, as are stories and everything else. So it's like, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's maddening that. Although it does feel. Look. I'm not going to lie, Chris. It does feel very sus that um, it was paid for in cash and the company doesn't um, exist. Oh, yeah, but, it's really weird. Okay, yeah, so I mean, when I say very sus, I mean like, right. yeah, okay, that's that's worth going, you know, taking a look under the, be like, oh, yeah. Let's be... We'll get, um, we'll get back to that. Let's be, uh, <laughs> let, let's be real. The mm. conspiracy theory is that it was a coded warning. The adverts yeah. were real. That, they're not made up. They're in the newspaper. <gasps> yes, but, but the adverts were used to 
per like to uh, pass on this coded message? Is that the idea? Well, that's the conspiracy theory is that the adverts were taken out for this non-existent game by this non-existent company to warn mm. of this attack on Pearl Harbor. Um, why? For what reason? I don't know. Because the whole idea of springing the attack is to surprise people. That was yeah. the whole reason mm-hmm. why uh, uh, they did it. It would be strange to go. Oh, there is going to be a yeah, surprise why attack. Would the, why would the Japanese go coming ready or not? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that does feel it's stupid. Not a good military strategy, that is it? No. The idea isn't to leave little clues. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they were I real. We leave clues, and if someone finds out, well, then we can't do the attack. Right. And, well, ah, but it'd be worth it. It'd be, be worth it. But just imagine how cool you would feel. Just imagine how cool you'll feel on the streets because you're fucking fired. That's a. <laughs> idea. Um, so I don't know whether or not it was a case of the author of this book feeling like. Like trying to be salacious and being like, oh, well, it's a mystery and maybe this happened and whatever. Mm. Um, but the mystery has kind of been debunked, as a lot it, of conspiracy yeah. theories can be. It literally yeah. doesn't stand up to the scrutiny of why would they, yeah, why would they let, why so would they let their let's, be known? So let, let's talk a little bit. So the account stems from this serviceman who was flying the plane later on in the war who overheard, or, or had this spy tell him during the flight that it was a coded message. And yes. that he'd been assigned to investigate it and couldn't solve it. Right. So right. Joseph Bell, who was that pilot, mm-hmm. he'd written his own version of it in a 1989 article in the Los Angeles Times. So he'd right. been this Navy pilot during World War II, and he recalled meeting the intelligence officer who said that, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but... Um, mm. And then this is a quote from that article written by the pilot who said, who claims to have been told that it was a, uh, a coded message. Yeah. I so see. this is a direct quote. He told me that the November 22nd, 1941 issue of the New Yorker magazine, two weeks before the attack on Pearl Harbor, an advertisement that in retrospect was full of double meanings and was considered by the intelligence community as a warning to someone about the timing of the upcoming Japanese offensive. He described the ad as best he could from memory and said it was accompanied by a pair of dice with the numbers 12 and 7, the date of the Pearl Harbor attack exposed. And then remember, of course, that that was two weeks before the attack. Yeah. Right. He'd been assigned <sighs> to investigate the ad, ran into nothing but dead ends. It had been placed across the counter in New York and uh, paid for in cash. Both the main ad and the smaller adverts that referred back to it had been set in type somewhere else. Okay. Uh, and a matrix okay, had been right. called for delivery to the New Yorker. So the advert had been printed up and just given to them. Oh, so they're like, yeah, just chucking yeah. in the magazine. Right? The, um, uh, the clerk had accepted the ads. He had no recollection of who placed them, and neither the game that was offered in the uh, in the copy nor the company whose signature uh, was on the advert existed, was made up. Right. So uh, this guy had drawn a total blank, and it was still eating at him. He was convinced that someone, for reasons he couldn't fathom, had been instructed to convey information about the upcoming attack in this manner. Okay. It was very much like the New Yorkers, like, listen, magazine sales are dipping. Let's make some crazy shit up. Yeah. yeah. And when he went back to college, Joseph Bell, because Joseph Bell was uh, was at college. The war broke out. He was uh, conscripted, went back yeah. to college after the end of the war. He oh. looked for adverts among the New Yorker magazines in the library. So he went to oh, look at no, the back issues. No, he went issues. full Pepe Silvio. He went oh, to the back man. issues. He found them, uh, and they were exactly as they'd been described to him. Oh, shit. Uh, and this is another quote from him. I remembered the assurances of the intelligence officer that there was no such company and no such game in the stores, and the ads took on a significance and a malevolence to me that has been very real ever since. Oh, I think he's sort of been sucked into something that might not be very real. I feel I feel for this guy. Um, only because, like, 
Well, that's tricky, isn't it? When you're in, when you, I think the ads are just weird. I don't think they're connected to anything. That's just, that's already my theory of it. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, they're, uh, they're just a, a strange it ha- It's like, it's like that, that episode of The Simpsons where they go to New York and he holds, Bart holds up a magazine cover and it's got 9 and 11 on the cover. And everyone's the like, oh, they must have predicted it. It's like, seven years before. And they're like, oh, Simpsons predicts 9 11. No, it didn't. On that note, listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not even playing devil's advocate. Like, I totally agree with you. In the actual advert, one of the mini ones that has the, the numbers on the dice. Yeah. They're not the only numbers visible. It's like, oh, so, yeah, right, yeah. So like it goes. There's the, the the one of the dice. The left hand dice has got an XX, which is twenty in Roman numerals. It's got uh, the twelve very visible. It's also got twenty four. Now the other dice oh. that's got the seven, and while twelve and seven, you are drawn to them both because yeah. they're not the only numbers in the advert. So on the other dice, you've got the seven, but you've also got a zero, and a five. Hmm. Yeah. Now. Unless the attack happened at five twenty, <laughs> yeah, on the seventh then... of December, which let's check, shall we? <laughs> I mean, then, then, then maybe we have to rethink our entire lives <laughs> because that's yeah. mad. Just before eight a.m. Now, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But what was that in Japanese time? It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, so, yeah. yeah. You can chase your tail on this. Yeah, forever. yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just yeah, exactly so. The ads had been covered uh, in the press, like, continued to be covered like, afterwards. So, like, in 1967, mm-hmm. a military historian shared the story in a press release to promote uh, his book, which was subtitled The Secret Road to Pearl Harbor. And the date and the time and location of the Japanese surprise bomber to Pearl Harbor may have been contained in a set of cryptic advertisements published in the New Yorker magazine 16 days before the attack. That was reported in the New York Times on the 12th of March, 1967. Uh, according to this guy, that Lasilas Farago is the guy that wrote this in 1967. Okay. Uh, the ads may have served to alert Japanese agents that it was time to disband their apparatus. So that is why this was a, a theory as to why there was a pre-warning about it. So you, it wasn't a warning for the Americans. It was a warning for Japanese secret agents embedded in the United States to get out of there because we're about to attack on this date. Uh, well... Maybe I just feel like they'd probably just send him a direct message. They just phone him. You go, lads, is the line secure? <laughs> yeah, fuck off, get out of there. <laughs> so, on the note that I just said about what else you can see on the dice, it says this is what this is the 1967 article in the New York Times. The first advertisement was set in one column, was two inches deep. It showed a pair of dice with six numerals written on their faces. They were the numbers twelve and seven, which Mr. Farago says could have stood for the month and day of the attack. Yes, Pearl Harbor happened on the 7th of December. Hmm. But also, like I just said, the figures 5 and 0 may have been the planned time for the bombing, which did Ah. not begin until 7am. A double X or Roman numeral 20 appears on another face of the die, and Mr. Farrago said that this could have been meant to signify the approximate latitude of Pearl Harbor. The number 24 appears on the 6th face, and Mr. Farrago said in an interview, I haven't got a clue what that means. So even somebody <laughs> okay. who's sort of, like you said, chasing their tail and going, well, this could mean that, and this could mean that, and this could yeah. mean that. Okay, what about the 24? Don't know. I don't know. I mean, mm. This is it, isn't it? It's not like, and then that fact just gets thrown away. Just like, oh, I don't know, so doesn't matter. And it's like, well, <laughs> if it all matters, then surely that's, there's a purpose and a reason that that's there. So don't, don't start throwing that away. Yeah. I get um, quite mad at this sort of thing. There's, there's also, like, it, yeah, there's a chance this has been 
like categorically debunked. Oh yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so Farago, who wrote that article in 1967, I love this phrase. Um, found himself with a fair amount of crow to eat the next day when the New York Times Ooh. published a follow-up article identifying the creator, publisher, and adverter of the game. Oh. And the game oh. did exist. Oh. If you go to oh. boardgamegeek.com. <gasps> no. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to boardgamegeek.com. Boardgamegeek.com. Forward slash image. Forward slash 675185. Forward, forward slash image. Forward slash 675185. So you've got boardgamegeek.com. Forward slash image. Yeah. Forward slash 675185. We've got a WhatsApp group for this link. Forward um, slash yeah. deadly hyphen double. Oh, I've, I've written the word hyphen. <laughs> right, okay. You've got um, the game. Oh, look at this. The game exists. The deadly double. Here we go. Let's see. And there, there's even there's rules. There's to it, is There's there? even rules to it. <gasps> oh, shit. Oh, look, and and the logo for deadly double, two birds with a crown on them, and XX. Yeah. Oh, shit. Holy shit. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. We could play it one time. We could play Deadly Double. We could play Deadly um, Double. So, uh, yeah, if you guys want to lose a bunch of money, then let's play De- Deadly Double. <laughs> are, you, you, are you the best Deadly Double player in the planet? Are you? you let me, let me tell you Deadly something. I've been, playing de- I've, been, I've been playing more games of Deadly Double than you've had hot dinners, mate. I'm telling you. That's oh, no. Masood's the world's best well, thank player you, Masood, of Deadly well, Double. Even though this is obviously that's the case. Well done. Thank you for not swooping in and spoiling this episode ahead of time. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> the game did exist. So Roger Paul Craig was the uh, man who created uh, the game and published and uh, advertised it in the New Yorker. His widow contacted the New York Times after Farago had written this article Uh. in 1967. So the fact that this, bearing in mind the fact that this historian published it again in 2016, his 2016 book, is a bit embarrassing. Yeah. Um, So... Uh, so this this mystery was solved uh, fifty five years ago, uh, twenty five <laughs> years after Pearl Harbor. Right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. 
So, yeah. uh, a woman who says she is the widow of the man who invented the game called the Deadly Double denied that advertisements for the game published in 1941 carried any warning at all of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah. The woman, Mrs. Eshaw Cole of Montclair, New Jersey, disputed the suggestion that the ads had been designed to alert Japanese agents in the country. Mrs. Cole said she helped her late husband, Roger Paul Craig, write the cryptic ads. She said the adverts had been designed as teasers to promote the game. Yeah. One ad carried the headline, Achtung. The other showed a group of people playing a dice game in an underground airway shelter while searchlights and explosions lit the sky above. Which I guess, like, it's like, you're going to have to maybe do this. We're at war. Maybe yeah. take a game. Here's a fun game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, she was she was really annoyed that his game was making no money. And she's like, yeah. I'm going to write the fucking copy. Okay. Because you suck <laughs> at uh, it. I will. Yeah. Roger. <laughs> Roger. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mrs. Cole said that she and her late husband were visited by agents of the FBI after Pearl Harbor, but that the relationship of the ads to the attack was just one big coincidence. So the FBI had looked into it. Oh, shit. Okay. So they were fucking hell. Which, by the way, let's not start shitting on on, uh, Joseph Bell, the pilot. Yeah. Because there's a real chance that one of the FBI agents in the plane with him was investigating it. Because the FBI did go and talk to the couple. Yeah. um, maybe that FBI agent was get it was like no I think there's more to it and was yeah. wrong. Yeah, that's pr- that's pretty likely. Ow. She said she had no idea <laughs> how her husband happened to pick the numbers. So oh, asked to comment on this, Farago, okay. who'd written the original 1967 article, remember the one that was like and this and this and this and this could mean this, yeah. but I don't know what 24 means. He then said, well, what can I say? Oh, see, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. As soon as you start sort of mm. debunking it and throw it and ripping it apart, they're like, "Well, yeah, what can? Mm. Well, it's, e- it's easy. It's easy yeah. when you throw facts at it." No, that's literally what we did, and it yeah. turns out you were full well, of shit. This is part of the thing where people they really des- desperately want a mystery, and they're like, "Oh my god, this, this, and this, and this, and this, maybe." And mm. they get they get carried away and they get excited. So, um, yeah, in 2016, the guy wrote his book and repeated it in that because um, it sounds cool. Um, mm. Before that, in 1967, the guy had written his New York New York Times article, and then that had, that had been actually turns out it had been debunked, like in 1967. Wow. However, if you actually go in a bit further, it actually got debunked 25 years before, in 1942, oh. like five months after the attack. Anyway. <laughs> oh <laughs> shit! Right. Los Angeles, the LA Times. Uh, an LA Times columnist called Cha- uh, Chapin Hall tracked oh. Mr. Craig down. He tracked Roger oh. Craig down. Yeah, right. And he quizzed him. He, he asked him about the... About the, the Daily Doubles. And he went, yeah, yeah, that was me. I did it. So this is, an, this is from an article in 1942, five months after the Pearl Harbor attack. It says, propaganda developed some odd reactions. It's a two-edged sword that may turn unexpectedly. An interesting example is the story of what happened to the promoters of a new game which was put on the market last fall with a fanfare of national advertising. One of these advertisements appeared in the New York Magazine for November 22nd. In it, the words alert and warning were used and the unpleasant possibility was suggested of a long winter spent in an air raid shelter. Two weeks later, Pearl Harbor. Following which, for some inexplicable reason, a lot of people turned back to the out-of-date issue of the magazine, obsessed with the idea that the advertisement contained a prophecy of the tragedy in the Pacific. Letters, calls, and telegrams uh, started coming into the office of the company and to the editors of the magazine from would-be J. Edgar Hoover's and amateur G-men demanding an explanation of what they describe as a tip-off to all lovely Japanese... They don't use the word Japanese people. Yeah, no, uh, I know the word they use, yeah. And its possessions to make arrangements for protection from a surprise attack. If these seem far-fetched, Roger Paul Craig, an officer of the company, tells us, you should see the complicated evidence that was marshaled to show that the numbers on the dice which the game is played clearly announced the date of the forthcoming attack, 12-7. 
in other arrangements of the visible numerals, together with incongruous calculations based on the number of advertisements and the page numbers in the magazine, an additional oh code God. message to a lead access agent was read into the copy. The undertone of bitterness and sarcasm in Craig's comments is understandable. His wife was later quoted as saying the game never sold very well. <laughs> oh, no. On top of all that, it was oh. a fucking dud. If you think it's a coded attack... They call it the Harbor. deadly double because they, they sold two copies. If you think, if you think it's a coded, uh, a coded warning of the attack on Pearl Harbor, you're not going to think the game exists. You're not going to go exactly, look at yeah, it. Exactly, yeah. You're not going to buy it. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, yeah. So in the end, he, the creator of the game, Craig, felt victimised. <laughs> so this is another quote as well just how such a message was supposed to reach all the sons of the rising sun through such a medium is difficult to understand but the message did carry into every section of the country and I promise you said Mr Craig nothing travels as far and as fast as a grossly inaccurate and malicious rumour nah. yeah. now are you going to buy a copy of Deadly Double or are you going to get out what's, what's happening <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, it, it feels almost like what would happen if Conspiracy theories took um, conspiracy theorists took um, Orison Welles's War of the Worlds as an actual news yeah. uh, broadcast, <laughs> yeah. and we're like, but the evidence of it is like, yeah, no. yeah. If they're like, no, no, some people thought it was real. It but... actually happened, and they cut, and the government covered it up. And like, yeah, yeah, and that yeah, there's people who are like, this it, it was real, it really was real. So uh, yeah. um, if uh, uh, um, this is maybe too good to be true, but according to his wife, hmm. uh, as the war went on. Um, Roger Paul Craig, the inventor of the deadly double game, went on to serve in, in basically the um, the military progenitor of the CIA. Oh, like the oh, forebear of the CIA. Do <laughs> <laughs> we like anybody want to play uh, deadly double? No, nobody wants to play <laughs> stupid ass dice stop game. Stop trying to get. Stop trying to make deadly double happen. Yeah. Right. Well, do you think? I mean, obviously, it's it's been categorically debunked. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think like I think even from the word go, it feels like very much like either it was a poorly selling game ad or it was a a kid prank. That's I thought that yeah. was one of those two. It was either like some sort of goof. Or it was a, 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 a shit game. A princely A very goof. princely goof. Um, or it was yeah, a shit game you can, that didn't um, take off. You can read the rules of the game. This is it simply seems... a game of put and take, which can be played by any number of people and in which no bank is necessary. The unit of ante, the amount of which should be agreed upon before play, is a single unit for the duration of the game, having one as its numerical... Oh, it's boring. Let's not play it. Yeah, I already don't want to play this game. <laughs> I was having a little read of the rules, just thinking, this sounds like a very annoying game yeah. to... No, no, hang on, you're men who have done that by now, and then be like, oh, I love the start. idea that oh, Suze, yeah. would, uh, Suze would read the rules and be like, wait a minute, this is... This is the greatest game of ever of all time. I think maybe nice. it was a warning, because like, even in the rules, <laughs> it's... <laughs> So have you ever, if you've ever this been to a board game based um, establishment like a board game cafe or something like that and you mm. ask one of them to the, explain the rules of some far out board game you've never heard of it feels a bit like that where you're like I already don't want to play it I, I regret taking <laughs> yeah, it off the fucking yeah. shelf actually like the League of Gentlemen sketch where they're playing cards oh and is it like <laughs> it's just really really complex. how about a round of uh, eight men down oh, I don't know that one <laughs> 
<laughs> How about a game of Go Johnny Go 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 Go? <laughs> Come on, you must know Go Johnny Go 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 Go. Jacks are worth ten and kings are worth three, apart from one odd jacks, which are wild cards. Oh, I'll come to those in a moment. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah. When you roll the die with one hand, you can only roll it closing one eye. And if you clo- if you roll it rolling two, then you've got to add double to that, that number that appears well, on the face. Yeah. But also add it to the side face. So, uh. that was the first one. The second one is a... Um, it's the Swamp Ghost. This Oh, hey. hello. Here we go. Right, this this one's feels like real. vintage MOTR here. Yeah, <laughs> it does, doesn't ghost. it? <laughs> what, was that, what was that thing? The you know about the, the Swamp rainbow? Ghost. No, I've not heard of the swamp ghost. Oh, for fuck's sake. You both reacted as if, like... Because it's exciting. It's a swamp ghost, Chris. That's exciting. It's not actually actually a swamp ghost. It's called the swamp ghost. What it is, is a ghost plane during the Pearl Harbor attack. Ghost plane? That's exciting. That's very exciting. Why aren't you excited? I'm very excited. I am. So the ghost plane. So it's a ghost plane. (laughs) What, like, as in several pilots reported seeing... Ghost P-40. All right? Okay. The Phantom P-40... Was it? Is this like a Bermuda Triangle thing where like... I, I, that's what I thought, yeah. yeah. It's been called the ghost ship uh, and it shows up throughout history. When it does, it's always the same plane, a P-40. Uh, apparently, it always ends up being more true than false. So according to this, which I can't... I can't but again, I think this is sensationalist. Because um, the quote is written in Comic Sans. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> absolutely not. The font of truth. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, is there a um, picture of a dog? Uh, a co- like going home. Chris, the dog is talking. So let's have a look at this ghost P forty that's cropped up. There's been okay. um, how many sightings of it? I think so far? I think three for uh, yeah three for definite, mm-hmm. and it's the second one that's the most the second one that is relevant to this. Okay. They, all of them are after Pearl Harbor, though. So, version one, on December the 8th, 1942, so um, uh, a year after the attack on Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. but different versions of the same sighting. So, oh. let's, um, yeah. So, on December the 8th, 1942, oh, like a year after the attack of Pearl Harbor, but almost the anniversary, as I remember, December the oh, 8th yeah. and not December the 7th, radar in the US picked up an unusual reading, and it appeared to be an airplane heading for American soil from Japan. Okay. Now, radar operators that picked it up, they knew that it was, it didn't carry any of the usual markings of some kind of aerial attack. Okay. Sky was overcast. It was late in the evening, and it was one plane by itself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. And so, two American pilots they were sent sent to intercept it. Mm-hmm. As they approached the plane, they radioed back to the ground to report that the aircraft was a P forty, and it had markings that had not been used since the attack on Pearl Harbor. Okay. They pulled up alongside the craft and they were shocked to find a bullet-riddled plane with the landing gear blown away. Hmm. Puzzled as to how a plane in this condition could even fly, they noticed the pilot was slumped in the cockpit, his flight suit stained with fresh blood. As they peered into the window, the pilot raised slightly, turned in their direction, smiled, offered a meek wave, and then moments later the mysterious aircraft plummeted from the sky, smashing into the ground with a deafening roar. Oh. Okay. Doesn't end hmm. there. Okay. <gasps> oh, American what? troops swarmed to the crash site, but no trace of the pilot or evidence of who he may have been were there. There were no, right. no trace. There was a plane, Ooh. though. They there didn't was... find any identifiable markings from the plane, but they did find a document which was assumed to be the remains of some sort of diary. 
from this so, the, so this is they actually did find a plane that did crash that in is, this version of the story in a version of the story okay right. from this diary researchers were able to discover that the plane must have originated from the island of Mindanao is that how you would say that Mindanao? I wouldn't know yeah, sorry Mindanao. Uh, located, Mindanao. and that's about uh, 1,300 miles away actually, so he wouldn't have been able to fly that far on a, so in a P-40 the rest of the story the rest of the story is a, is a mystery mm. so some theorised that the craft may have been downed over a year earlier and the pilot managed to survive on his own in the wild. What, he for a year possibly, and then he got and then he, and he's all bloody and he's like... He could have possibly scavenged parts from other downed aircraft, repaired his own aeroplane, managed to somehow navigate his way back to his homeland over a thousand miles of hostile territory. But what they obviously is not explainable is how the heavy P-40 aircraft could have ever taken off without any landing gear. Yeah. And also, like, can they even fly that far? Good question. With, in terms well, of fuel and stuff, so like I don't even know if that's possible. That's one version. Yeah. The other version of the same story is that it was American forces in Kinao in China spotted an unidentified plane heading toward them um, on a beeline, like just directly mm-hmm. at them. Uh, pilots Bob Scott, they're named here. Bob Scott and Johnny Hampshire approached it and discovered that it was an old. P-40B Tomahawk bearing an insignia that hadn't been seen since Pearl Harbor, and the pilot would not identify himself when they tried to call. Fearing a trip by the Japanese, they fired briefly on the plane, but it's, it didn't like try and escape them or or shoot back. Yeah. Um, Bob Scott moved to the plane's further side and saw that it had been badly damaged before they came upon it. The canopy had been shot away, and a bit of the landing gear was um, gone, and part of the wing was missing. The pilot's head was slumped on his chest, and the the wheel wells were empty, so yeah, it had right. no landing gear. They, mm-hmm. Both of the pilots that went to intercept it, they lost the plane in a cloud bank, and then they saw it crash. They saw it crash in a rice paddy below. Okay. Um, so no one knows who the pilot was, where this plane had come from. And after years of research, Bob Scott himself theorised that it had been assembled by a small group of Air Corps personnel who'd retreated from Bataan and ended up in uh, Mindanao. And if that's true, then it must have flown more than a 1,000 miles through enemy airspace to reach China. Because there's still so, war at this point, by the way. It's not like yeah. Pearl Harbor has happened, but America are now in the war, and the war is ongoing. So, unless this thing had drop tanks, which is apparently, I don't know what that is, but that's a thing, its range is 800 miles. So it's within the realms of possibility if it had drop tanks, but nobody mentions those in any of the no, um, stories. And well, also, 800 miles is not 1,000 miles. Japanese records confirm that there was an American P-40 over that area on December the 8th, 1942, but where it came from and where it was headed and how it even got into the air, no one knows. Hmm. Uh, so this is why hey. like, it persists. It's quite an interesting story, I guess. And, yeah, and it's, also not, it's a curiosity. Yeah, so you know how we yeah. did the Hollywood series and we had like... Oh, the, the, the planes that were flown And then we had over... the, the, yeah, the Battle of Los Angeles where it was like a... They a thought weird, they had a bunch a weird, of planes. A weird one rather than a crime. Yeah. Um, mm. That's like why I wanted to do this. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're covering Pearl Harbor and also the mysteries are a different flavor. Yeah. See, it, it feels like, unfortunately, the facts of like a plane like that, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's like sort of, there's this sort of famous crash, plane crash um, in Africa of um, these terrorists tried to hijack a plane and they wanted to fly like well beyond the plane's flight range and they were quite okay. persistent and the plane crashed into the sea and, and fell apart and the reason it's quite famous is because everyone it's why you have to do your life jackets when you're in the water after you get out of the plane and not right. before because oh so you're not stuck in a 
full up exactly yeah sinking plane right right, right. um and but basically like yeah it, it seems very much like there's a big glaring fact of this thing it's like it flew over a thousand miles like it, it literally the plate literally can't do that <laughs> like it's, there's no right. way even right. if you want to cook up as many conspiracies about it, it's like well let's take that into account plate's not going that far is it Mm. maybe if it came from like halfway somewhere else and even so these things of like your man who slumped over dead in the thing that's all that feels very you know that's a fun cool story idea yeah like, yeah oh he's been shot and he's like it's a dead pilot mm. he's a ghost a, a go <laughs> yeah <laughs> one pilot turns to the other a ghost pilot <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then they land, and then they pull off his mask, and it turns out it's like the fucking museum owner, and it's like I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids and your <laughs> dumb dog. And the camera pans over to them, and he goes, "Ruby, Ruby, Ruby." So the, the blog that I'm reading from. Uh, it's called the-wonderling.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, the, there's an article here about the ghost, the ghost P40. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes into a lot of detail about it, uh, primarily because the person that's written it went and researched it themselves. And right. like right. Uh, sat down with army, army friends and spoke to them and everything. Now, it's a bit too much for us to go into detail because, like, do you believe in a ghost ship? Uh-uh. So, no. Uh, no, I don't either. Um, <laughs> but let me just do this before we sort of wrap it up. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. There is a third version of the same story. Oh, okay. Yeah, because we just heard two, yeah. Uh, and this rewinds a little bit to May 1942, so halfway between Pearl Harbor and the sighting of the ghost plane. Yeah. Uh, in May 1942, a US Army pilot named Corn Sherrill found <laughs> 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 himself bless you found himself uh, on uh, Mindanao which is a Philippine uh, island yeah sure and uh, Mindanao remember crops up in both of the other accounts yeah yeah uh, he uh, Corn Sherrill was there with 11 mechanics who'd escaped to that island by devious routes and in a cracked up P-40 okay um, uh, the Warhawk was an E-model with fine, the wings were okay, and it had six working .50 machine guns, .50 caliber machine guns. Four miles away, Americans located a fuselage, Mm -hmm. which a gang of uh, uh, Moro tribesmen helped them carry to the wings. The P-40 weighed over three tons empty, with most of that being the engine in the fuselage. By December that year, they had cut a 5,000 feet runway and equipped the P-40 with bamboo skis for takeoff. So basically, they found this plane and yeah. they patched it up. Right. right. And an extra 50-gallon gas tank in the baggage compartment. So they'd, they'd put an extra gas tank okay. on it. Right. Mm-hmm. On December the 8th, 1942, Corn Sherrill took off mm-hmm. in that plane with 300-pound bombs under his wings. He dropped the bamboo skis, so he had no, didn't have any landing gear, but they made some out of bamboo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ingenious. Uh, flew a thousand miles to Taiwan, which is apparently extraordinary for a P-40, even with that 50 extra gallons of uh, gas. Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, Cheryl attacked the Japanese airfield with it, and apparently this is, and again, it's a different version of uh, events, but Bob Scott crops up in this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. So as Bob Scott told the story, he, stra- he he attacked this Japanese airfield, he strafed them row on row, and then he cut the Japanese flag from the headquarters building with his wingtip. 
This sounds too good. This sounds like this. This and feels like this, and then he did that, yeah. and oh my god! <laughs> um, this is this is in the movie version of this. Yeah, yeah and like, then he laid yeah. his first wing bomb right in the enemy offices. Well, like, and one of the guys caught it, and he's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and then it just blew and up. He flew yeah. 250 miles to a Chinese airfield, but he was intercepted and shot down okay. uh, by um, Chinese Air Task Force P40s. Hmm. Okay. You know what? Strangely, this is the story that I'm like. Parts of it, I feel like that would be in the movie version of this when the real version is like he probably just flew a quite busted up plane bombed one well, yeah. building and that was it yeah. but someone's like yeah. oh and yeah like you said it's like oh and like then. yellow jackets yeah yeah, yeah. oh man when they, um, <laughs> when they try and uh, is it flight of the navigator no it's not when they're stranded and they rebuild the plane and try and get it flying again what's that oh what film is that oh i don't know they're in the desert and they rebuild a pl- i don't yeah, know it's actually. like famous hugh laurie was in the remake Oh, I can't imagine what it could Flight be. Flight of the Phoenix. Oh, is that what that's about? Oh, yeah. I do know that. Okay, yeah. sounds quite good. <laughs> um, yeah, it's got Dennis Quaid in it. Oh, Dennis Quaid. It, it's that sort of survival mentality, and what a, what a plucky morale story for people that are still entrenched in war. Mm, yeah, mm. it feels very they much. Found, like they it. found a downed plane and they rebuilt it with bamboo, and then they flew and they destroyed a Japanese airbase in it. It's, yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. It's Not only can there. we escape this our situation, let's do something for the war effort. Yeah. So yeah. and then Kevin Costner came down and he bashed the sign that said "colored toilet" and he turned to the camera and said, <laughs> "The toilets for everybody." <laughs> And then everyone went, yeah. And then people went online and realized that character was entirely made up for the yes. purposes of the story. Yikes. We just wanted a nice little scene for the white people watching. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, guilty. <laughs> I enjoyed that scene very much. Doesn't matter that it was made up. We should all treat everyone nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I liked it when they sorted out racism. <laughs> a neat little package. Uh, that's a Pearl Harbor double bill. Ah, I feel like strangely enough, I am more inclined to believe the final story as it yes! as, as it holds a lot of plucky heart, as you said, Chris. So, oh, you think you think the ghost yeah. plane was uh, more plausible than? The... I think I think the I no I feel like that one the the like we rebuilt this ship with with a bunch of heart mm. and some bamboo and and we <laughs> took out this with Japanese a song, base, yeah. with a little song playing we managed to have the morale to build a ship. to build build a plane back and and yeah. and and send back those nasty nasty enemies of our allies it's like, yeah that that feels like a yeah only because it it is rampant with propaganda. <laughs> yes. So the, the, the Swamp Ghost is a slightly... Wait, what does that name originate Okay, from? so it's a slightly different... The reason I brought it up mm. was because... And I'm glad, actually, because I forgot about it when we just did that other one. But the reason, <laughs> the reason I called it The Swamp Ghost at the beginning is because it's most likely the origin of this myth of the other one. I oh, see. Okay. okay. The Swamp Ghost was right. not, but it was a slightly bigger plane. It wasn't a P forty. It was a Boeing B seventeen E. Okay. And it during the Second World War, it ditched into a swamp on uh, Papua New Guinea. Right. Uh, right. So Japanese occupied New Britain on hmm. February the twenty third, nineteen forty two. So not that long after Pearl Harbor, uh, it um, ditched into a swamp on Papua New Guinea. Oh, it would have been my birthday in 1942. 23rd of February? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. uh, Happy birthday. It was intercepted 
uh, and eventually it ran out of fuel. It had to force land in a remote swamp near the yeah. north coast of New Guinea. All of the crew survived the crash landing and then they survived the arduous trek out. So that is a survival story. Our okay. plane shot down. But oh. also it's called Swamp Ghost. Yeah. Mm. I feel um, like in the in the movie of that, um, yeah. somebody comes across that plane and finds a skeleton of somebody in the pilot seat. And that's um, and that's like and when you're twelve, that's a very scary scene because they play like a really sharp piece of music when they find this guy. Yeah, like, like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, after this, obviously the crew survived, mm. uh, and then got out. They survived the crash. They survived the landing, and then they survived uh, the the ordeal afterwards. Yeah, it was not. It wasn't until 1972, so nearly 30 years later. Actually, 30 years later, it was rediscovered. Oh shit! That's where okay. it earned the nickname Swamp oh. Ghost. And then uh, in 1989, the Travis Air Force Base Heritage Center planned to recover it. It was salvaged in 2006, and it moved to Ley Wharf. Uh, Ley being the capital of the Morobi province, second largest city in Papua New Guinea. It lay waiting for permission to be transferred to the United States. And it was February uh, February 2010, where it had been cleared for input to the United States. On June the 11th, 2010, it was shown to a public gathering at Long Beach, California. And that included family members of the original crew. Oh, that's nice. As of February 2022, that's where we are, Mm -hmm. the aircraft is on display in Hangar 79 on Ford Island. Undergoing restoration. Could that plane be the uh, origin of the the ghost plane of Pearl Harbor? Wow. It's, yeah, it's, again, this is that thing where it's like, it's always quite nice and sensationalist to have a fun story about like, oh yeah, yeah. and there was this fucking ghost plane and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you probably just saw someone who gets shot down because it's quite traumatic being in war and that. You see a lot yes. of weird shit. And so your brain yeah. plays tricks on you. So Imagine, like, and imagine like sleep deprived, you've been... Uh, yeah, you time is becoming meaningless because you've been at this for months, maybe mm. even years. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I hallucinated. A, like, I hallucinated a truck on the motorway when I was I stayed up for twenty four <laughs> hours straight. So yeah, it's very. very I likely. did that. I I uh, was driving home from a gig New Year's Eve two thousand and well New Year's Day two thousand and nine. Mm. Did the gig and went. I can drive back from this. And it was about two in the morning, and the gig had been long. And um, I was feeling tired and I fully saw a truck in the lane in front of me and I was hurtling towards it and then I was like oh and it wasn't there yeah. I went this is a sign for me to get off the motorway immediately Absolutely. Yeah. so I crawled to the next services and I went well I'm obviously never gonna <laughs> <laughs> oh that's my favorite straight to sleep my favorite there's two types of my favorite sleep there's that one and then there's the one where you're trying not to fall asleep watching something and then when you finally fall asleep it's like oh you just sort of like get yeah under I give sleep. in yeah yeah, yeah. I give in. My mom had this rule of not waking people up who fall asleep wherever they are. And Your mum did? Yeah, so like, she's rule. like, don't wake people up is her rule, right? So like, if you fall right. asleep on the couch watching TV, just leave them. And there was something quite right. terrifying about like, going to sleep when it's bright watching TV and waking up when it's dark and no one's in the room. You're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> it feels like a movie transition. You're just like, right. oh, and now it's dark. This is fucking weird. I've time travel. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like that bit in Shaun of the Dead when he falls asleep on the chair in the kitchen and he wakes up and it's daytime yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, it's that yeah. like, i don't like this yes um, it's quite panic inducing to be perfectly honest because you are you're used to one state and then this is like yeah. yeah and we don't know enough about our bodies yeah like they there's so much they don't scientists don't know about sleep 
because the idea like everyone needs eight hours sleep and I heard a whole podcast on this mm. it's bullshit everybody's completely yeah. different yes. uh, I think eight this... hours sleep is too much for me yeah, same I never get eight hours yeah if I get f- four to five hours sleep mm. I'm like yeah I'm alright I think it's for me. I it's usually like the, get like six, six and a half. It's the quality of sleep as opposed to the time. I think that like yeah. yeah. So I can function sometimes. Like when I have to get up early, in, like at half four, mm. I can. I'll have gone to. I'll have gone to sleep at like, or at least gone to bed at like just before midnight. Mm. And I'll wake up and feel fine. And yeah. Then can, yeah. And then, and then can do a whole day. There are other times. But if you'd had like an extra yeah, hour, then, you might have been yeah, like. Exactly. Whoa. And then there are other times yeah. where um, I think maybe I've either gone to bed too early. Or mm. and not done it and, and come out of a sleep cycle at the wrong point. Yeah, wake up that's at, it. Wake up at half four because of my alarm and then be mm. just fucked for the whole day. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're like having to slap yeah, your face. Yeah, and I've had the same amount of sleep as I had the previous good night. But it just didn't line mm. up. But yeah, it just didn't yeah. Like, like it didn't hit right. So I yeah. end up having yes. to and then I have to go back to sleep when I come back in. Yeah. Like, I can't set my watch by it. It's Little weird. Nap. It's weird. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It was like the thing about jet lag. Jet lag is one of those things I don't quite understand because they're yeah, like, wow, yeah. Like we I understand mean, yeah. what is happening, but we don't understand yeah. why that affects your like quite why. Oh my it has god! The it has I was only body. six hours ahead in the Maldives. Yeah, and I, it took me a week to like stop being like, Ehh. yeah. <laughs> I was really fucked for it. I was like, what's wrong with me? It should only take a day, surely. Yeah, but then yeah, it's it like nice. they're just like, well, we know what's happening. We just don't know why. Yeah. yeah. I saw something somewhere about like the idea of that's what science is like. Science can explain what it is, but doesn't quite know why it's happening. Yeah. We know what fire does. We know what it does. What's happening with fire? We just don't know what, why, because it does those things. That's the way it does it. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> it's like it's combustible. It does this and this and this. But yes. why? Oh, don't Thanks ask me. Nothing science. <laughs> it's fucking <laughs> bizarre. We're in the forties now. We're banging the forties. We're in the we're in the, the we're in, roaring forties. Yeah, we're in the midst of war as well. Here it is. Where it's temp- temperature's hot. We're, take, we're, uh, can we we're just, coming in hot. Can we just uh, Roman? We want to check the temperature on this. It's hot. It's it's very hot. <laughs> it's very hot. Um, thanks so much for listening. Where can you, uh, find us? Yeah. you can find us on the usual places on Twitter and Instagram at Mister on the Rock, spelt R O X. You can also uh, email us and be like, "Hi guys." I think the show is great. Um, mm-hmm. At mysteryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also find us on Patreon. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash mysteryontherocks for all your fun little extra needs. If you, can't, if you can't get enough of us, if you want just that little bit more, just that little, <laughs> that little taste of yeah. more, that little chaser to go down with your drink, you can join us on the Patreon and get yourself some lovely merch. You can uh, get all the extra episodes, episodes before the regular schmucks do, on uh, two days before their release. That's right, you lucky, lucky people. Ooh, um, that's a beat. That's, <laughs> that's all there at patreon.com slash mystery on the rocks. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. You've been Thank swell. You. <gasps> Thank you. Bye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 